The choices you make and specifically the way you choose to see God matters. How you choose to interpret the circumstances of your life matters because what you choose to believe about Him is who you'll show others that He is. Will you choose to see Him through the eyes of fear and doubt or through the understanding of a God who not only loves us, but is love? Join me today as we learn to see Him rightly, as we learn to choose love. Hey everybody, welcome back to Choose Love. It's been a couple of weeks I took off um, because we've had some extra special things happening in our family. Um, we have our second grandson and so I wanna tell you all about him. And I thought today, I, I'm not even sure what I'm gonna end up calling this. Something like, what is life teaching you? But I'm gonna do something that I rarely do and I'm just gonna kind of speak out of my heart and out of things that have been, um, that I've been learning in life right now. I mean, I always speak out of that place, but I don't have any specific um, scripture that I'm teaching from. I am gonna mention a couple of verses, but um, it's just kind of all, it might be, it might feel a little random, but for me, it's not random because it's stuff that's actually um, going on in my own heart and life. And even in that, I wanted to just kind of model that for you guys, because I, a lot of what I'm going to say today, you've definitely heard me say before, but um, it's because I take, I take inventory a lot on just my own heart, my own you know, what, am, am I on track? Am I, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I learning what I'm supposed to be learning? And I think it's really important that every one of us do that, that we just have a lifestyle of what I call taking inventory, where you stop long enough and, and silence the world around you enough to just process with God. You know, I'm not like sitting praying, but I'm, I include him in everything that I do. So I'm just like thinking, okay, God, like, what are some of the things that um, common common threads throughout things that I'm going through and what I'm learning in those things? And then I believe we're responsible to sow that into someone else's life. Well, I happen to do that here in this format, but every one of us has an opportunity to do that. And so I would say it this way, know what you know, write what you know, and share what you know. Um, there's something that happens when you obviously meditate and think about what, what do I know? What, like, what are my bearings right now? What, what have I been going through and what am I learning in the midst of it? And then another level of understanding comes when you begin to actually write it down. Even if you just put it in bullet points, um, some people love to journal and get, you know, all into the nitty gritty, every detail, but you know, maybe you don't have time for that, but something different happens when you take the time to actually write it down. It shows intentionality. And as I say all the time, God is super intentional with us. And so when we are intentional back with him, we're actually operating in, in part of our sweet spot because every time we we um, believe and make choices that are in line with who God is, 
we're actually reflecting an aspect of his image that we were made in. And that's our sweet spot. You know, when you get a car to do what it was designed to do, that car is in its sweet spot, right? I'm not gonna mow the lawn with my car. I'm going to drive with my car. And if my car has very special things about it that make it unique to that kind of car, and I'm not utilizing those things, then I'm, you know, what's the point of having that car then? My point is that we were all made in God's image. And when we discover truths about who he is, like how intentional he is with each one of us, whether we recognize it or not, whether we're grateful for it or not, it's the truth. He is intentional with every single person. So when we do anything that's even close to being intentional in our own lives, it, it, it revs up um, all the good parts of life. Like it's part of stewarding when you are intentional with your life. And the enemy wants to try to keep us in just a constant reactive mode where we're just reacting to everything as it comes at us. And it's hard to get out of that place because it's kind of cyclical and you get in this cycle and pattern in life where just things come at you. And I can totally relate to that, that they're, you know, just having kids, even grown kids, they all have things going on with them in their lives. And I could literally just you know, excuse myself from anything else except for responding to what's going on in their lives and what they need. But when I, when I work with the Holy Spirit and I say, help me like to, to bring more intention to my day and to my weeks and my plans for the month or the year or for a project or whatever, it's like it makes and creates space for that in my life. So the same is true was a little analogy. The same is true for, um, you know, areas of your own life that feel like you're literally just stuck in survival mode and all you can do is react. And just, just even one step out of that cycle of just reacting to this and reacting to that and life is just, you're a victim of everything that's either happened to you or continues to happen to you. When you make one step in another direction, even if you think you you don't know what to do, just, just do something different that's not a reaction. And you will see that, that that opens up the possibility for God to get behind that and create a way out, if that makes sense, a way out of that stuck feeling. Um, so know what you know, think about what you know, and then write it down and then share it. Even if you're not sure in the moment who you're gonna share it with or how you're gonna share it, be willing to share it and then God will open a door. Either you'll find yourself in a conversation with someone who literally needs to hear what you just processed with God and what you took the time to write down and go, this is what I'm learning right now. This is what he's speaking to me right now. These three things or this one thing. And again, something even more exponential happens when you take what you have been given, you're stewarding it and you invest it in someone else. It takes it to a whole nother level again. And you know, many of you have been in really intense battles. Some of the battles are because of your own choices. Some of the battles are because of just 
life on this planet, right? Just whatever we want to call it, warfare and just the hard times. But regardless of how, you know, what you're having to learn right now or even why, God always has a place for you to invest that in someone else. Worst case scenario, we've all pretty much got social media. So um, enjoy taking the time to write it down. Even if you don't say it maybe as eloquently as someone else does, or you are more, you know, you say things in a real short, distinct way. Hey, there's, there's everything from Twitter, right? Twitter is where they make these little short statements to Facebook. They just, you know, pour their hearts out. Do something with what God is giving you. Know it, um, write it, and share it. All right. So I, I've also been, um, let me pray because I wanted to pray at the beginning here and at the end. So let's just do that. <laughs> I told you it was going to be a little like random, but I promise it'll be good. Just listen for Holy Spirit in the midst of my words. Holy Spirit, you can do that. And um, I just ask that you would help me to share from that authentic place of the things that you've been uh, showing me, teaching me, and the conversations that we've had. I ask God that they would be a blessing and a benefit to my brothers and my sisters who are taking the time, their very important time, to listen to this. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak and to... Um, reveal things to our hearts, to my heart as I'm speaking, to their hearts as they're listening. And um, God, I ask that you would um, just be with us right where we are right now. You say we're two or three are gathered in your name, and certainly we are gathered in your name, and and we just want you with us. We, we give you permission to just stir hunger in us, just like we're seeing in the revival that started at Asbury and is in all these different places. It, it has this common thread of just hunger for you. And sometimes we don't know how to be hungry or stay hungry. And so all we can do is just ask and give you permission to make us hungry. Give us an appetite for you, for our Father, for the one who is always um, focused on us. It's just hard to even comprehend, but give us a, a desire that, that comes back and matches the desire that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, as I mentioned, one of the things is uh, we have a new grandson. Now, some of you think that this is our first grandson, so I just want to clarify um, Depending on when you first started to get to know Johnny and I, you may or may not realize that we have four daughters and we also have a son. Our daughters, um, I birthed all four of them, and they age range right now is like 32 to 22. Our son is um, actually from Rwanda and we adopted him several years ago, I'm trying to, I'm so bad with like keeping track of how many years, but I think it's been four or five years ago. We, uh, yeah, let's see. Was in California before we moved here, three, four. I, I'm thinking it's been four years, five years. Anyway, <laughs> um, and our son, uh, I met probably um, 
at least 10 years ago. And we just headed off. He, he was oh, such a long story. I would love to, I need to interview him sometime and have him tell you guys his story. And I don't want to tell his story for him, but I will just tell you enough. He's from Rwanda. His parents um, were killed in the genocide, his dad in the genocide and his mom soon after um, when he was about six years old. And long story short, he was a street kid and he ended up um, getting a sponsor from the United States who, you know, like Compassion International, where you can sponsor a child in Africa. And his sponsor found out that he loved music and he ended up um, getting uh, a guitar given to him and he taught himself how to play guitar and sing. And when he was um, around, I think he was around 16-ish, 15 or 16 maybe, he ended up competing in Rwanda's version of um, kind of their version of like an American Idol type competition where he he competed first in his local area and then eventually got all the way to the national level and won the entire thing. And so he went from being a street kid to literally being famous overnight and having an audience with the president. And um, he became an advocate for other, for his friends that were still on the street and um, ended up traveling with that same organization that he was sponsored by um, with some of the other boys. And they began traveling in the United States and helping raise support and awareness for the the need for more sponsors of the kids in in Rwanda and maybe in other places. So he ended up being um, uh, a part of a family in um, the West Coast. And they said when he was visiting the school with the group of boys and they were they were performing and singing and dancing and all kinds of stuff. Um, this family said, hey, we're willing for you to stay with us and our kids if you want to finish your high school education at this private Christian school. And he ended up um, staying and he um, graduated and then got a partial scholarship to a private Christian college. And um, he was still traveling with that organization like on the weekends and different times to go continue to raise awareness for um, kids in need in Africa. And at the time I was um, in, I was, uh, Johnny and I served on an advisory board for Patty Millette, who is Justin Bieber's mom. And in this um, particular weekend, I had invited Patty to go with me to a human trafficking symposium. Um, again, this is almost I, at least 10 years ago. And it wasn't, I had never really heard or understood what was going on with human trafficking. It was a very new kind of topic, not certainly not as understood as it is now. And so we went to the symposium and I was sitting in a luncheon at the very end of this whole um, little conference 
and hearing speaker after speaker just blow my mind with all of the statistics and sad stories. And um, I was very moved by it, but not so much that I cried. But in this final luncheon of the whole thing, um, who became our son, stood up and he was given maybe five or 10 minutes to sing a song and share his story. And when he did, uh, my heart just, my heart was undone. And I just sat there and wept in my seat and was scheming, how can I get to know him? I just felt like this drawing, like, like I just had to know him. And so I went up to him in his little booth he had set up at the end and introduced myself. And, you know, he kind of smiled and he was polite like he would be to anyone talking to him. But I was like, I would love to take you to lunch. We'd just been in a lunch and I was like, I would love to take you to lunch. I mean, I promise I'm not like creepy or anything. I have daughters and I just, I just want to know you more, you know, and I'm sure that was a little overwhelming for him. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, that isn't that nice, you know? Um, so I did something that I, I, I haven't done that I'm aware of any other time. And I used my relationship with Patty. And I said, well, um, I think that there's someone that you would really love to have lunch with. And he's like, oh, really? And I said, yeah. And she's my friend. She's here with me. And it's Justin Bieber's mom. And so I was kind of bribing him, in other words. And of course, he lit up. And he was like, yeah, I want to meet her. And so I ran and got Patty and said, trust me, you just, you're going to love this kid. you got to come to lunch with me. And she was so gracious. And she did. And she fell in love with him, too. Um, but from that time forward, he just began to come and have um, holidays with us, summer breaks with us. And... You know, he and our daughters um, just got along so well. He's um, about a year older than our oldest, and he's just been the best big brother ever since. We told him pretty soon after that, honestly, we, Johnny and I had had for years, we'd had people saying, you know, God's going to give you a son, these prophetic words, you've got a son. And we just kept thinking, well, you know, we're already done having kids, so I don't, you know, you, you got it wrong kind of thing. But we knew he was our son and we saw the call of God on his life. I mean, everybody has a call of God on their life, but, but for him, we just felt so protective over it. And we felt like it's such a big call um, that he's going to need roots. He's going to need family that will always unconditionally love him and be there for him. And so we told him, if you ever want us, after processing it with our kids and some other relatives, if you ever want us to adopt you legally, we will be willing to do that. But, you know, you can certainly look to us as parents in any capacity that you want to. And so um, he and his wife, future, several years later, um, and we're super close to her too, she, they met in college and we got to be a part of him even processing, should I date her? Should I pursue her? And then should I get engaged? And we got to be a part of their engagement. And then they actually moved in with us for, I can't remember, six months to a year um, while, while we were living in California. And they wanted to move down um, to where we were. And they also, um, he needed to do his financial planning um, 
it's kind of like the bar exam for, for attorneys. It's a long process that you have to go through to, to get to be, um, to pass this particular test that you need to, the seven series. Anyway, and so by living with us, we got to, you know, spend more time with them and bond in a way that we hadn't because we'd never actually lived together in the same house and certainly not with our daughter-in-law. And, um, and then we were able to let him focus on that and not have to work during that time. So anyway, lots of bonding. They came to us a couple of years later and said, you know, um, if you, he said, if you are still willing to adopt me, I, I would like to do that because I don't want to tell my kids one day that you are like their grandparents. I want them to know you are their grandparents and course we were so excited and we went through the process and legally adopted him as an adult so um it's been just an incredible blessing to have him in our lives but especially in our family and our daughter in love and our grandson so we have a three-year-old grandson all of that was to tell you we have a three-year-old grandson we don't get to see them a lot because they are on the west coast um, but we're going to see him in April, so I'm super excited about that. Um, Johnny and I, we we buy him books and we we record ourselves film we film ourselves reading the books to him, and then we send him the books. We're like, we want him to know our face as he's growing up. Anyway, so he's got his own little private YouTube channel that we keep populated with videos just for him. Um, and so that's Malik. And Malik in Rwandan means king. So we love it. It's so prophetic, the royalty, the royal call that's on their lives as a family and just the privilege of getting to love them through their journey, their process. And anyway, so um, we had our second grandson and his name is Kalev John. And he was born a couple of weeks ago. Um, they're wanting to keep some things private about him, so his face is not online. So I don't, unfortunately, I don't get to show him off. Um, but they want him to be able to choose in the future if he wants to have social media and all that, which I totally respect. And um, but I did get permission to share something. So his name, he's named after Johnny, which was just so sweet and meaningful, obviously to Johnny, but to all of us. And I'm, every time we show his picture to, to people that we know, they're like, it's a little mini Johnny. <laughs> it just looks like Johnny, just in a miniature version. Um, I can definitely see aspects of his dad in him, Chris, and aspects of justice. And um, anyway, we, we got the privilege of being the place where they had um, labored and delivered him with a midwife and a nurse. So I was just gonna give you all a little bit of, of uh, that story. Um, but his name, Kalev John, you know, John after Johnny, and Kalev is the Hebrew word for um, Caleb. And they know Johnny's love for, for Caleb and um, the way that Caleb had a different spirit in him and that he was along with Joshua that went into the promised land. Um, and so that's why Caleb or Caleb, John, Caleb. So it's spelled K-A-L-E-V, Caleb. Um, 
but you know the process of getting ready for the birth and getting the house ready and having all the things that you need to have that the midwives instruct you to have and um, making it as comfortable as possible for justice. Johnny and I moved upstairs and let them have our room downstairs. And, you know, Johnny was here the day of um, labor and delivery. She went into labor in the morning and then he was born by um, by bedtime. And so Johnny just stayed up upstairs most of the time. He would come downstairs every now and then and pray and pray over her and, um, but mostly he's just up here and he's between, you know, justice getting in a zone and, you know, being vocal because that's just the way you get through labor and Johnny upstairs blowing the shofar. It was, it was, it was quite a day. And there came a time in her labor where um, Kalev was stuck. He was not descending where and engaging and it was not going as planned at all. And we were having to scramble and figure out if we could even get her to the hospital and then which hospital does the insurance cover and all of that. And her husband, Chris, I mean, he's, he's, he's amazing. Justice did incredible, but I was so proud of, of Chris and how he just, it was such a picture of, um, really, I believe like the Holy Spirit that just coaches us and guides us through the things that we go through in life. But he was so, he just knew exactly how to keep, um, keep her where she needed to be. And what was I going to say about that? There came a time where we were trying to figure out if we were going to have to take her to the hospital. And Chris asked, is there something more that we can do? And, um, the nurse, uh, both the nurse and the midwife, amazing women, spirit filled. I mean, we're just so grateful for them. They're clearly doing what they were created to do and they're so excellent at it. And, um, they said, yes, you can try this one thing, but it's going to be super, super painful on top of the pain that justice is already in. And she's going to hate you for a second. Um, but it was without describing it, basically Chris just had to, um, hold her belly up in a certain way during one of her contractions so that the baby would drop. And he did that. And, he, you know, just, just the picture, um, again, I told you, I'm just sharing out of what I've been learning. So this is, I'm, I'm having fun sharing the story, but it's for a reason too. So hang with me. Um, so he is telling her, you have to trust me. Well, all day long, she has had playing in the background on the speakers, this incredible music um, that is this British woman's voice. And she is reading over the music. She's reading all these scriptures and declaring over the baby, declaring over the mom, declaring over the labor and delivery. Just, I mean, it was, it was so powerful. I just had to fight back tears all day long because I just, it, it was just so powerful. I don't know how to describe it other than that, that there's nothing more raw and more um, human and spiritual than, than the act of labor and delivery and, and a new life coming forth. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's an incredible collision of something that couldn't be more flesh 
and more spirit all at once. And I'm, and I'm seeing that playing out in front of me, watching and supporting justice, watching her husband, you know, in her face, just speaking truth to her over and over again and loving her and being compassionate. And, and then these, you know, halfway through the day when the midwife comes in and, and how these women knew, um, they knew how to come alongside of her to accomplish what needed to be accomplished and, um, not be fearful, but, look out for her, you know, just, it represented so much spiritually, just how our father is with us, how Jesus as our groom, our, our husband is with us. And, you know, we're all always in a process, I believe, of, of either conceiving something in the spirit or carrying something in the spirit or laboring to birth something in the spirit. You know, everything that you go through in life that's worth anything is that cycle. You know, whether it's you're overcoming fear or you're growing in love or you're, you know, there's a career change that you know God has for you, but you got to get from here to there or something you're contending for either in the natural or in your um, mental, emotional world, spiritually. It's that process of First you conceive it and then you carry it and then you have to labor to, to birth it. Um, so it was just, I was just seeing that play out. Chris did that maneuver with justice and he said, you have to trust me. And, um, and she did because she didn't have any other choice. How many of us find ourselves in that place? I have to trust you, God. I mean, like I'm too far into this. I'm too far into whatever is going on in my life to not trust you? Where else can I go? Like, I know who you are. Um, and this, this is kind of colliding for me with my um, process of watching The Chosen. So if you haven't watched The Chosen, you've got to watch it. I cannot tell you how incredible it is. The first couple of them are harder to get into, but once you get into them, the whole, there's three seasons now, and now we just finished the third season. At the end of the third season, you see it play out. I'm going to, I'm going back to the birth story with justice, but you see it play out this relationship between Peter and Jesus. And Peter, remember, he's the one that um, walked on the water towards Jesus getting out of the boat. But the way they play it out in this series, which is, is biblical, but they add some possibility to it, right? It's not, it's not not biblical. It's just not clearly stated this way in the Bible, but you see he, his wife, um, goes through a miscarriage and he's furious and he's hurt because here he is on these, you know, little excursions with Jesus and with the other disciples where they're going and they're healing people and they're seeing incredible miracles, signs, wonders. He knows without a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of God. He's got a friendship literally with God in the flesh. And he's like, you're kidding me. He doesn't say these exact words, but you'll see it play out. You're kidding me. I I can't even get you to, to, heal my wife and save my child. 
And it's this perfect um, picture that we can all relate to of that place of mystery that we find with God. And, you know, where else can I go but to you? But yet it doesn't always go the way it seems like it should with you. And um, I don't want to get into how it resolves itself because I don't want to ruin the, the Chosen series for you and, and you getting to experience it for yourself. But so I was watching this as we're going through the process of Justice having um, Kalev and then the whole week after they stayed with us, which was such a sweet time. It was exhausting, but it was such a sweet time to get to be a part of that first week of his life and moment by moment, you know, and watch them as parents figure it out. And they are. Um, okay, all of that to say, they said, okay, before we put you in the car, back to justice, before we put you in the car, we have to check you one more time to make sure you're not going to have this baby in the car before you even get to the hospital. And up to this point, she was um, like five or six centimeters, needed to be at 10 centimeters dilated to push. And um, so they checked her and pretty much he, he dropped where he needed to be, she was dilated, she was ready to push, and it was a total God moment. Now, for about 30 minutes before that God moment, I I just felt so numb and so lost because of the emotions of, you know, we don't like watching our kids or people that we love going through pain or hard things. And she was having tremendous pain and it wasn't, it wasn't progressing like it was supposed to. So um, that feeling of it's not progressing like it's supposed to. And yet I'm needing to figure out the insurance and I, I just couldn't even think straight to figure it out. I called the company and I just even trying to find the phone number. I, I felt like I was walking through mud. And so but but the reason it was so hard in that moment was because it's like, God, where are you? Like, where are you? And Johnny's upstairs. He's praying, interceding, and he's blowing the shofar. And he only knows what I'm coming and telling him every little while. And so he knows something has to shift, something has to change. And it was just, besides the obvious of this is our daughter and now we have a grandson, it was just how it was playing into just the big picture of life and things that we go through and and that fit that feeling that sense of where are you god and things aren't progressing like they're supposed to and and yet i'm right where i'm supposed to be like i don't know where else to be um and you know for because of a situation for justice she um already knew that she couldn't get um any of the medicine or epidural from a hospital. So that was part of what played into her needing to have a home birth. And they chose our home because their home is too far out away um, in the country. So she needed to be closer into the city to have him. Anyway, I just started thinking about these two words, choose love, choose love. And how the only thing 
Okay, you got on one side. I'm gonna explain this here in a second. The only thing we can, can that we can control is our response to what's happening. You know, you go through things like labor and delivery and you realize once again, you know, one of the main lessons of life is we really don't have any control. We really don't have any control over what happens. You can do all the right things and things go horribly. You can do all the wrong things and things go horribly. You can do all the right things and things go wonderful. And you can do all the wrong things and things go wonderful, at least for a time. And so you realize, okay, I, I, I can only control my response to what actually is happening to me. But if you just live and live from that place, then you're, you're just a, you're nothing but a victim, right? Of good or bad. You're just a victim. You're everything's random and you just have to respond versus react. Okay. But the other side of that is that we actually do have a choice. We have a choice in life. So the choose and the love, the love side is, all right, I can only control my response and my, my response, if I'm going to whittle it down to what it should be in any thing I'm going through is my response should be love. It just should be love, love towards someone else, love towards myself, love towards, you know, God in a situation. Um, I can control that. I can control that, but I can't control anything else. But yet I'm not a victim. So the other side of that is choice. We do have a choice. We get to choose all the time. And what we choose in life, we choose to go down this path or that path, make this decision or that decision. That place of choosing is a powerful place because God meets us in that. He has set up in this world um, he has established principles of the kingdom of God that supersede everything else. You know, man sets up systems that certainly have consequences, but above that, God has established his kingdom, which, you know, for example, being generous brings blessing back to you. Um, whether your economy is set up that way or not, God's economy, God's kingdom is. And when you step into his kingdom ways of something, then it supersedes. So there's power in the choices that we make. So we're not victims. And um, I've got another loose end. So I've got this amazing, exciting time for our family where we have this new little boy in our lives and we got to experience the labor and delivery. Um, I have this, this thought of what I'm learning from watching the Chosen series. And then I also have, I'm, I'm weeding out what stories to tell or not tell. Okay, another loose end. Told you it's gonna be random. So this last week we realized um, since Justice had had the baby, we didn't have to stay in town like we thought we did and miss a friend's wedding. So um, there was a wedding in Orlando, Florida that we were invited to. And so we, we decided the last minute we could go. So we also decided that we have several friends that we're super close to that live within five or six hours of Orlando in different directions. So we thought we'll land, we'll 
get a rental car and we'll go visit the different ones and just go love on them, you know? And uh, we, we're used to receiving a lot from our friends and the ways that they come around us and love on us, but we really wanted to make an effort to do that for them. So in doing that, um, we had a lot of driving time. So sometimes I get in these weird moods where I just like to hear the stories of when people have died and um, had a, what do they call it? A near death encounter in DE, a near death encounter or a life after death experience where they got sick or died on the operating table or in a car wreck or whatever. And they, they literally experienced leaving their body, going into the spirit realm, some of them being in hell, some of them being in heaven. And I just, I don't know, I, to me, it feels very authentic when I'm hearing them tell their stories. And I am always listening for like, tell me more about what I already know in my heart is true. There is a God and there is Jesus and there is a heaven, there is a hell. But to hear from people that have actually gotten a little glimpse of it is so fascinating to me. And it always builds my faith. And it 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 always kind of reconnects me to, um, to eternity. So during a lot of that driving time, we... Um, Johnny and I listened because he's just like, whatever, I'll listen to whatever. So I would pull up on YouTube. So in the description here, I'm going to put a couple of links to some of a couple of them that were my favorites that I that I really enjoyed hearing their stories. Um, but all that to say this, when one of one of our friends that we spent some time with um, actually was just day before yesterday, um, on this particular trip, this friend, um, they had a grandson that was recently killed um, in an accident and a teenage young man that they absolutely love and adore. And, you know, we're so close to them. We have just been one of, you know, many family and friends that are walking through this with them. And just you know, when someone's grieving there, there's just, there's nothing, you know, there's, there's the extreme of labor and delivery and a new life coming into the world. And then the opposite extreme of when you have to say goodbye to someone, or you don't even get to say goodbye to someone that, you know, should still be here and the grief and the questions and the wrestling with God. And, um, you know, when, when people you love mourn, you mourn with them. And so we've been in that place as well over the last few months. And then in particular being with them um, about a day or two ago. And so we were talking about eternity and we were talking about um, just things that we're learning and that we're wrestling with God over. And the um, our friend, uh, his name is Charlie. Charlie said, you know, God has been speaking to me and he's, he's an author. He writes all kinds of incredible revelation about kingdom and kingdom principles. And he said, God's been speaking to me about eternity. And, uh, I'm sure he'll write a book on this one day that we'll recommend, but, um, it got me thinking and he, I'm trying to remember one thing he said, cause I would like to give him credit for it. But 
um, he said, God's just been challenging me to live. He said, we, we were created to live outside of time because God does and the kingdom exists outside of time. And he said, so we were created to live within time, but from a place of eternity, a place of we are eternal beings. And um, it just kind of, it was one of those things that just got my attention and I want to like stop and dig there some. So one of the things I wanted to mention to you as I've been taking inventory on what I've been learning and what what lessons life is teaching me right now. This connects back to what I was saying about the choose and the love. We have choices to make. And yet, really, when it comes down to it, the only thing we can control is our response, which should always be love. So here's how they connect. This is like a little insight into me and all the pieces in, in my, my world that I pull together and listen to God from. But so here I'm listening to these near-death encounters and the common thread with all of them is just crazy. The common thread with all of them that I've been listening to, I'm sure there are others, but that their takeaway was always, I hadn't learned to love like I should which is shocking to me because I can think of a lot of things that I would think Jesus would make really clear to someone that he's going to send back, you know, send back with a message. And it's always over and over again in these near-death experiences, I needed to come back and love more and love better and make sure that my motivation in what I'm doing and who I'm interacting with is always love. It's just so profound to me. And it, it got me thinking again, like I said, about choose and love. So with all this and, and even just, you know, seeing the hard things that justice went through that, that, um, cause there was more to it afterwards, there was some difficulty that, um, she had that they were medically prepared to to fix and they did but for about two minutes there it was really scary um after he was born and you know it just all of that process you just see how fragile life is and i started thinking about how life you know we're just born into a war zone and i've written about that in in the book that i wrote but I also talk about it a lot. I'm sure I've talked about it here on Choose Love many times, but we're born into a war zone. There is literally a spiritual battle playing out. And here we are. And I just, I felt like in that place of just questions, like what we went through in the birth, like, are you kidding me, God? Like this could have gone really bad and and for a minute there, I I weren't sure, I wasn't sure where you were and what what you were willing to do or not do on our behalf. And then, you know, just loving on and trying to encourage and mourn with our friends, something that makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, this is a family that has been extremely 
focused on kingdom in everything that they do. I mean, there's there are no open doors. And they, you know, in, in, in a bad way, there are no open doors that they've left open to the enemy. And they've been so faithful to pray literally daily as a family over all of their family protection and you know the declarations just everything we know to do and yet still you know this accident happened and they're they're in that place like many of us get to where it's like where can I go God like you're you're the only one who could have done something about it. And I know you well enough to know you're powerful and you, it is your heart to do something on our behalf to intervene, but sometimes you don't. And so what do I do with that? You know, this isn't progressing like it's supposed to kind of place. Um, and so the other piece that's kind of playing into all of this for me is, okay, born into a war zone. I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to readjust your thinking, even about the war zone. Like, yes, you are born into a spiritual battle and you're going to take hits and there are going to be tests and tests of your faith. But I felt like he said two things. Number one, I want you to be grateful and, and understand that because you are in a war zone, things could be a lot worse all the time in any given situation. I mean, that might not sound encouraging to you, but it, it, it helped me realize, I mean, can you imagine if you're, if you're thinking that um, the role you're playing in a movie is uh, let's say sound of music, you know, and you're like, where are all the songs? Where's all the fun and dancing? But you're actually playing a role in, you know, a, a private, saving private Ryan or something, you know, a, a, a war scene. If you think you're in sound of music and, and you keep getting hit with bullets, you're like, what the heck? This is frustrating, right? To say the least. No, but if you know, okay, this is a war zone. I don't understand why it's a war zone, but it's supposed to be a war zone. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to take hits and I'm going to watch others take hits. So I can't control that part of it. I cannot control the fact that life is going to go really wrong a lot of times. And you gear yourself up for that. I think the first hit that you take, some people, it's not until much later in life. Some, it's so young, you don't even know how to process it. You don't even know you've been hit. But once you come to the reality, okay, that is life. It's not personal. Like, it's not, you know, you don't have to overanalyze it every time. You just know, I'm in a war zone. People, myself included, are going to take hits then it shifts your mentality to, wow, today's been a great day. <laughs> you know, there were no huge crisis moments. There was, you know, we took some ground today. I didn't just survive. I actually took some ground today. And on the days where you are just surviving, then you should feel successful because you're surviving in a war zone. 
I mean, right? This is, I don't know. I hope it feels, feels like a, an important revelation for you like it does for me. That really helped me. Also, um, the second thing that I felt like God was saying to me about that is that when you're in a war zone and you understand that aspect of it, then you know the power of being grateful. Thankfulness. Because if I can only connect my thankful heart to not getting hit, not taking a bullet, or, you know, like we have to adjust what we're grateful for. I'm grateful that I survived that hit. I'm grateful that um, I'm, I didn't walk away from the Lord from that hit. Which gets me into a couple of different quick scriptures, and then we'll wind this up. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11, this is going back to the conversation with our friend Charlie about eternity. I started thinking about Ecclesiastes, and it's this chapter um, 3 where it, it talks about, I'm not going to read it to you, but it should be familiar. It says, um, there is a time to everything under the sun. There's a time for death at a time for birthing, a time for planting and harvesting, etc. And it just goes back and forth that the the truth held intention, the I'm going to love because that's the only thing I can control versus I do have I do have choices that I can make. It's the yin and the yang between the choose and the love between, um, you know, truth held intention all the time. Truth is held intention. It's the truth of there's a time to plant and a time to reap. There's a time to um, mourn and a time to rejoice. It's always both and. And it goes, it presents life in that place of truth that's held intention. But verse 11 kind of brings it all together and says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has made everything beautiful in his time. So when you settle into the fact, uh, this is probably a poor analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. Life is certainly not a game. There are eternal consequences to it. But the part of the analogy that I want to say is like a game, like a, a call of duty or whatever. I don't play that, but whatever the games are that people play and you're into it and it's very realistic and you're, you know, getting shot and shooting or whatever, but there is an end to it. And you know that you live to see another day because it's just a game. Well, life is not just a game, but this this space and time that we are in right now has a beginning and has an ending. And we know that for eternity, in the long haul, in the, in the, the bigger picture, the context that this life sits inside of, the context is the context of eternity. And if we choose that context of eternity is like 
we're assured of a victory. We're assured of happiness and joy forever and ever and ever and ever with no pain. And that's one of the things that I love hearing about in these near-death encounters is the second they're out of their body, before they even get to heaven, all pain is gone. All um, They're always struck by that fact. Wow, like they couldn't believe that we live under that and everything is more vivid. They can see more clearly. They feel all their senses are heightened. They're more alive, dead than they are alive. So my point with that is that um, eternity is more real than this space and time that we live in right now. And we have to remember that. That same verse goes on to say, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Well, his time is eternity, which includes this space in history that we call time, right? We're counting the years by its time. But in his time, it's the bigger context. It's the bigger picture. So even letting go of the, the right that we think we have for things to look beautiful in this space we call time. Like, can we let go enough and say, God, I know that you are good and you are loving and that all these near-death encounters, it was the same thing, how that there's almost nothing here on earth that even slightly compares to how loved they felt by God, Jesus, that bright light, whatever their experience was. It was the most perfect and pure love and not one single one of them wanted to go back. They were all disappointed because it was, it just, this paled in comparison to what eternity was like. But he has made everything beautiful in his time. And it goes on to say, also he has put eternity in their hearts. He has put eternity in their hearts. If he's put eternity in their in our hearts and we ignore eternity in our hearts, we are missing out on the best part of life. The best part of time and space that's here, history uh, and our little blip in it, is only beautiful in his time. It's as, as we understand that eternity is written on our hearts. And when we ignore all the eternal parts of life and the choices that are connected to eternity, that we're genuinely miserable here. So another scripture I want to highlight, just speaking of being born into a war zone, Ephesians 6, okay? I've, you know, whenever we read that, we always start with, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But what if we just leave that part off and we cut to the chase and say, um, we say, we wrestle with powers and principalities. Like just, Sometimes you can get something out of a scripture when you just read it slightly different. So something new out of a scripture when you read it slightly different. The new thing that I'm going after is, yes, there is the point that we like to make, okay, people are not the enemy. But the 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 point that I feel like 
just honing in on right now is there is a battle and it is a spiritual battle. And so what do we do about that? And so I want to just refresh you with this scripture. Um, this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Um, and this is the Passion Translation. So again, it's a little different translation, but it gives us kind of a fresh perspective. And then I'll make some comments on it and we'll pray and finish up. All right. Um, actually, verse 10. My beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. All right? You need strength. It needs to be supernaturally infused into you by your unity with Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. It's important to remember he's called an accuser for a reason. That is how he comes against us in the spirit realm. He's constantly accusing us. And when we stop for a moment to entertain those thoughts that make us feel so bad about ourselves or about someone else, we are agreeing with literally a principality, a spirit, a demon in the spirit realm that is very, very real. And he spews his lies and accuses us constantly. It's not some weird spiritual thing. Like this is really happening to us all the time. We are being accused. And that's his strategy. It's, it goes on to say, your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are powerful, they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. We get little glimpses of that. There are people that literally worship Lucifer that know it. In this realm, this natural realm, they interact with the spiritual realm and they see demons, they experience demons, they interact with them, they sacrifice to them. But on top of that, these people that have these near-death experiences and the ones that, that died not knowing Jesus, literally they talk about, it's kind of freaky, but it's, you, you see how authentic it is. They go into at least an aspect of hell and they see and experience these demons. And then, you know, something comes to mind. This is another common thread in all of their stories. Some little something that they heard when they were a kid or a prayer prayed, they're reminded like they're like, Surely I could just call out to God. Maybe some somehow he'll hear me. And, you know, one of them, he just remembered like the one line of Jesus loves me. And, and just saying that one line from their childhood and then just the light of heaven just, just comes into the darkness where they were. It's like God is just looking for any excuse to show them mercy and to, to come in on their behalf. 
Um, and then they see Jesus and they don't reject him, which is why I believe they are able to go into heaven in that moment. Um, all of that to say the spirit realm and the demonic realm is very real. Because of this, he goes on to say, you must wear all the armor that God provides so that you're protected as you confront the slanderer. Okay, protected as you confront. We as believers were never meant to just huddle in a corner and just take the hits. We are in a war zone. We are going to take hits. But I want to know that my life is hard because I'm taking ground, not because I've made bad choices. Life's going to be hard either way. It's a war zone. Life is going to be hard. And we can be okay with that. We can get our mind around that and we can go, okay, that's what this time and space here is. It's hard. Won't always be that way. It is right now. But I want to know that it's hard because to the best of my ability, I am walking through this life with God headed in the direction he has for me. And that still means I'm not going to do things perfectly and I'm going to still, you know, suffer consequences of my imperfection, but I don't have to wonder, you know, why this is happening to me. I know it's because I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm not off doing something I'm not supposed to be doing or doing it my way instead of God's way. And so in those moments when it's hard I can better orient myself around how to stand and how to confront the slanderer, the accuser. Um, it's one thing to take a hit. It's another thing to take a hit and then have to sit and listen to the torment of the demonic realm. It sounds an awful lot like our own voice, okay? But let me tell you, no, nobody... Nobody wants to not like themselves, right? So if you've got, if you're, if you're down on yourself and you're hearing all the things that come with that, it's not you talking. It is a very real spirit demonic enemy. And he uses our thoughts and our thoughts sound like our own voices, okay? So we're not meant to cower and just take hits. We're also not meant to take hits, and then also have to, on top of that, hear all these lies and accusations about ourselves, about God, about the people around us, and just the mental torment that comes with taking a hit. We go through hard things. We get sick. We have challenges, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever the challenges are. They're hard enough without all the just pile on that the enemy does. So how do we get rid of that pylon that the enemy does? Um, he's telling us here, you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. So the first thing we do is we know, put it back into perspective. This is not all there is. This is all there is. Eternity, where we win and we get to feel loved and accepted and perfect for all time and space for here and ever and ever. We just got this one little part we got to get through here on earth. <laughs> um, this is not all there is. We will rise victorious. That's the first way we, we stand against the attack. Then put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. We need truth. 
Sometimes you got to dig to find truth. Sometimes you have to um, speak to other people to find truth. You know, if you're going through a hard time, reach out to someone else who can tell you the truth and um, reorient, reorient yourself around the truth. The next thing, put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Other versions say righteousness. Um, holiness, righteousness is obviously what Jesus has um, done. He has um, paid for, for us. He is our righteousness so that we don't have to get it right. And so we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ and we use that to stand against the enemy. Um, there's also choices that comes over and spills over into that place of choosing. We can, there's always a choice before us to do it our way or God's way, our way or God's way. His way is always the better way. And it's always a place of holiness. It might be the harder way, but long-term it is how we stand against the enemy. Um, Next, stand on your feet alert, then you'll always be ready to share the blessings of peace. I'm not as sure about that translation of that particular part, but it's it's uh, preparing your feet with the gospel of peace is how other translations say it. But regardless, the key word there, in my opinion, is peace, is prepare yourself with peace. Um, there is a peace that we can access, and I... I, I sh- was striving for it for years and years and years of my life. I I think I finally learned most of the time the skill of that peace that passes understanding. I wish I'd looked at the scripture, but there is a verse that says, I will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on me. And that's the key to peace. I I just um Life's too short to go through it constantly feeling tormented, constantly feeling chaos, confusion, like you can't focus, like you're in survival mode, just fear, anxiety, um, anxious thoughts, uh, having to control things because you can't handle any more pain, any more fear. Um, that all is the opposite of this peace that I'm that I'm reading about here and and the only way to that peace is literally to just the practice of including God in everything that you think about if if this is our mind and what I think about um, has to filter through my mind part of that filter needs to become God is involved in this God is in part is a part of what I'm thinking about. God has something to say about what I'm thinking about. God cares about what I'm thinking about or what I'm going through. It it just becomes like part of the filter system of everything you think and everything you do. When you do that, you access the peace that scripture talks about that surpasses understanding. I think I need to understand something or control it in order to feel good about it, in order to find that peace, and that's a lie. You can understand something perfectly and still have no peace about it, and still have no peace in the midst of it. 
It's not the understanding that gives peace. It, it, um, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And, um, you know, peace that passes all understanding. It guards our heart and our mind. So the more you choose the path of peace, the easier it is to stay and remain in that place of peace. And when you don't, it literally plays out in your physical body. Uh, they both kind of feed the other. So you can be going through things physically that really affect your, your ability to find peace because our body chemistry really plays a big part in how we feel emotionally, whether we feel and access peace or not. But if that's true, then the reverse is true also. That me choosing the way supernaturally to access peace can actually then turn around and adjust what's going on in my physical body. You know, you can find peace spiritually that actually takes away anxiety in your body that you're experiencing. All right, goes on to say, in every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it's able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. We are going to get hit, but we can shield ourselves from so many of those potential hits through faith. And so what is faith? Faith is believing in something we can't see, believing in someone that we can't see. That's faith. And faith can seem so mysterious and so like out of our grasp, but yet Jesus said that faith just of a mustard seed, just simply believing that he cares and that he has the power to show he cares, brings him into our situation. Whatever situation is at hand, he cares about that and he has the power to do something about it. That's faith. So that faith is a part of our extinguishing those shots that we take from the enemy. Lastly, embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies and take the mighty razor sharp spirit sword of the spoken word of God. I put those two together because I, I believe that, um, you know, salvation, um, salvation, that word salvation is the word, I believe, sozo, which is healing, like complete healing of your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your physical body, like Jesus paid for it all. It's a full deliverance that it's not, salvation is just not this one time I prayed a sinner's prayer and I, I make it into heaven. Um, it certainly is a part of it, but it's so much more. It's, it's, Salvation is that ongoing being saved, God intervening on our behalf over and over and over and over again. And we were meant to experience that blessing over and over and over again. And of course, in the moment of being fully delivered into heaven. Um, and then the, the scripture, the word of God is our sword, it is literally how we move forward and not just survive the enemy's attacks. Because um, a sword is is not just about, you know, defending yourself. It's, it's going on the offense. And so we bring damage to the enemy's demonic realm as we align 
what we say with the word of God. And you don't know what's in the word of God if you don't read it. And so again, it's another challenge to us to stay grounded in scripture and take the time to write out verses until they really become your own. You know, I'd rather see somebody, you know, you could say, well, I'm somebody who reads through the Bible in a year. That's great. Do it. If that's what you can do, do it. But I'd almost rather see somebody take, you know, six verses for the entire year and just digest them, make them your own in the context of what they actually mean. Um, but instead of just like checking something off as, you know, I've, I've done my due diligence, I read Bible verses, I read the Bible, like really get into scripture and, and get revelation out of it that you have worked, um, I say worked hard, but where you've really taken the time and the, the energy to make it your own. Holy Spirit, teach me. Now, what are you saying here? Ask the hard questions until you get the answers that you don't have to work hard to remember. They just become a part of you because it's like, yeah, I like, I learned that and I, it's, it's, it's part of me now. They say that, you know, for a, a soldier that has um, a weapon in their hand, the weapon is meant to be an extension of their very being, their own arm. And that's how the word of God should be, an extension of just our very person, that it just easily comes out of us. When we, when we hear a lie, we recognize it and we speak the opposite. You know, uh, the last thing that I will say, pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times. Again, that speaks into just that ongoing conversation with God where we take everything to him. It's like, I don't have to figure this out on my own. I can pray. I can talk to God about it. I can, I don't have to beg him to do something that's already in his heart to do, but it moves him when he sees me come to him because I know he would want me to, and I know he would want to do something about it. I'm not trying to convince him, convince him of something in prayer. I'm simply out of relationship going, you'd want to know about this and you already do know about this. So would you do something about this? You know, it's like I'm inviting you. I'm giving you permission to, to you're not overstepping any kind of free will here. I want you involved. I could do this on my own because he lets, he'll step back and watch us to some degree do things on our own. Sometimes he'll still intervene, but maybe it's because someone else prayed and asked him to intervene. Anyway, again, back to the chosen, watching how he interacts with people and their faith and, and when they pray and ask him for things. And even Jesus himself, he is God, yet he's praying to his father. Like he, he models for us why it's so important and how to to pray at all times. He also took hits. You know, he he certainly won though, didn't he? And scripture tells us as he in the, is in this world, so are we. And we're going to take hits, but we're going to overcome like Jesus did. Um all right. I think I covered all my random thoughts here. You know, for me, one of the just bottom lines of everything that I've just been sharing is that 
life is meant to be lived outside of time. We are meant to go ahead and access the eternal kingdom here and now. And the kingdom, remember, that's another thing I was working on for a couple of weeks. Um, Dr. Ivy Bonk put together a RISE Kids manual based on our original RISE handbook. And then I've just gone back through it and added some more things and done some editing. And so it's a collaborative effort here. But in going back through it, for my part, I was trying to listen through the eyes of, um, you know, a, basically a young teenager who doesn't know anything about God, scripture, kingdom. And so I really tried to define every single word as we got to it. So when we would talk about the glory of God, what is that? The kingdom of God, what is that? But it brought everything back to me just the simplicity of understanding even again, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is God's better ways of doing everything. And literally when we choose to do things our way instead of his way, we're saying no to his kingdom. And, um, you know, that's like as foolish as putting water in the gas tank of a car. It was never meant to run on water. It was meant to run on gas. This world was meant to work best God's way. His kingdom was meant to be on earth, just like it is in heaven. And so when we align the choices that we make with his better ways, and when we align our words with truth and with his heart and what he says and what he thinks where we can actually thrive on the battlefield. You can thrive on the battlefield. You can get hit. And I don't know if any of y'all have seen that movie. I don't think I've ever made it all the way through the movie, but the, the scene in um, Monty Python's Holy Grail, I think is what it's called. Anyway, there's a scene in there. It's the only part I remember of the whole movie. The guy is fighting with a sword and this other guy cuts off his arm and then cuts off his other arm, cuts off his leg. It's like a, it's a silly movie. It's not like, um, it's like spoofy, you know, he cuts off like literally all his limbs. Well, he's down to like, I think one leg and he's just hopping on this one leg. You know, he can't even hold a sword anymore. And he just, he just said, the whole thing is in like a British accent. He's like, it's only a flesh wound, you know? And, it just hilarious. But you know what? When, when you know that you're on the battlefield and you're taking hits, there's this mentality that like, it's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound. Like I'm an eternal being. Literally the worst thing you can do to me is send me to heaven. So I'm not going to be in survival mode. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to just react to everything that comes my way and be stuck in survival mode. I'm actually going to take some ground here. I'm going to choose. I'm going to make choices that are important and good choices. And I'm going to love because that is the one thing that I can control. 
as life comes at me and I can't fix other people and I can't, you know, maybe I'm, I am stuck for a season in certain things. I can control how I respond and I choose to respond with love. I'm going to keep loving my father and trusting him. I'm going to keep loving the people around me. I'm going to love myself and not agree with the lies of the enemy over me, over my life, over my future. And I've already determined. I will just say this. I have already determined that I want to die at whatever point I die in life. I want to die believing some things that haven't happened yet. I want, I want that. That does not, I've shifted enough to where if I play it safe and just only believe for things that I know can actually happen or that I'm pretty sure will happen, or I've been so disappointed, I just don't even want to believe for anything more than just the basics. I just, I just don't want to die in that place. I want to die with ridiculous faith. I want to die knowing that I believe for things that God just didn't pull off in my lifetime of space and time, but that he will revisit until they're accomplished in some place of eternity. And when, when you kind of wrestle and get on the other side of that, it's, it, it takes away some of that sting of things going wrong. You know, life is not anymore about me being a failure or God letting me down. It's like, let's just see how much ground we can take while we're here. Because what really matters is the long haul of it all. Okay, I hope that in all of my rambling, there was some good stuff in there for where you are. But again, I want to come back to where we started. If you had to sit down with someone right now and share and encourage from what you're currently learning and going through, what would it be? Think about it. Know what it is that you're learning right now. And like me, it might be just kind of like a, hodgepodge of lots of different things that you're going through in life and somehow there's this golden thread through it all. Know what you're learning. Write down what you're learning. Write it down. In some capacity, write it down. You'll get even more and you'll realize what you actually have when you see it in front of you and then find a way to share it. If you can't find anywhere else to share it, then share it in my comments here. You know, I'd love to read it. I would love to read it. All right. Holy Spirit, um, thank you for being our guide, our comforter, our truth. The one who um, escorts us through time into eternity. Thank you for who you are to each one of us. Thank you for teaching us how to um, trust our Father, teaching us how to experience um, the, the beauty that, that our Father accomplishes in His time. 
Help us to be grateful for all that you are sparing us from in this world. Help us to notice and see all the times where it it should have been and could have been way worse. And you were there and you intervened on our behalf. Help us to trust you in those moments when we do take a hit and, and know that you are, even in that, making it worth and, and work for our good, but making it worth it in the sense of eternal value. And so we trust you and we turn to you and we ask that for any of us that are just kind of stuck in surviving and not thriving, would you just give us a grace to come out of that place and to be intentional and to be in a place of actually taking ground? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, our friend, our Savior, our husband. Thank you, um, Holy Spirit. In the name and the power, the blood of our beautiful Jesus, amen. Okay, I'll see you next time on Choose Love.